You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Glad to have you all here and glad to be starting this sermon series this morning. We'll be, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 15. So if you're Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and start turning there. <clears throat> um, many of you all have probably experienced what my wife and I experienced with our son, uh, and that is watching your child look into the mirror, right? So when, when Judson was a little baby, he would, he would look into the mirror and he would think that there was another little boy that lived in mirror land, right? And so at first he would look and he would smile at the little boy and just be intrigued. And, and then he'd, he'd start reaching out and trying to touch the little boy, right? And then as he, he grew a little older, he would start kind of talking gibberish uh, to the little boy, uh, and then finally one day, you can, you can watch. If you've, if you've experienced this as a parent, you know you watch as their wheels begin to spin, and he begins to realize that everything he does, this little boy does, right? And over time, he comes to the realization that the little boy in the mirror is actually him, right? And, and so here's, here's what I want to say to us this morning, is that, is that the Bible is really a lot like that mirror for us. And in that when we, when we read the stories of the Bible and we see the lives of the characters, uh, we, we can sometimes kind of laugh at them or shake our heads at the things they do. And then the more we read it and the more we think about it, we begin to realize <clears throat> that the Bible is not just about other people, but we begin to see our own lives and our own hearts represented in these stories. And, and so this morning... We're going to be looking at a passage that, that is very much a mirror. It's been this in my own life and my prayers that is for you as well. And, and it will give us a picture of who we are, right, the things that we do, and who God is as Father. So uh, Luke chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 11 down through 24. <clears throat> and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And then the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best rope and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, thank you that 
you give us your word to speak to our hearts, and through your word you transform us. And my, my prayer this morning, Father, is that your spirit would do just that, that it would open our eyes to see the truths of your word, to see who you've called us to be, and, and even more than that, what you have done for us. And I pray, Father, that this would be a time through your spirit, through your word, that you would change our hearts and change our lives. And, and we ask you to do what, what only you can. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, many of you all have probably heard this story before. Uh, my guess is you probably heard sermons or read things about this passage. And typically when we hear this passage, what is it called? It's called the prodigal son, right? And the word prodigal is typically used in a negative way to talk about the son's actions, to talk about the fact that the son is wasting the father's money, that he's living a reckless life. Right, and, and so we hear that, and that's kind of the, the, the association we make with the word prodigal, and we think that this passage is predominantly about the younger son. But, but I've been influenced by a guy named Tim Keller, a pastor and author who wrote a book called Prodigal God, and I, and I think he has a very compelling uh, point that this story is really not about the younger son. Right? Ultimately, this story is about the father. And ultimately, as he calls the father the prodigal, God, um, he, he talks about the definition of the word prodigal, and he says this. He says, since the word prodigal actually means recklessly extravagant and spending lavishly, right? And so the, the more positive uh, meaning of this word is, is giving sacrificially and abundantly, right? So, so that's prodigal really means spending and giving abundantly, sacrificially, extravagantly, and so if we take that definition and look at this passage, who really is the prodigal in this story? Ultimately, it's the father. Right? He's the one who, who spends extravagantly, not, not just in money, but in, in love and in incredible forgiveness. Right? And so ultimately, this story is about the father and the prodigal love that he shows. And, and, and I think it's important that we see God as father. Right, this is, a, this is a picture that's used throughout all of Scripture, that God is Father. And, and this term, for me, has taken on a whole new meaning. Uh, three years ago, we had a little boy named Judson. And, and through that time, uh, just, just the way that my heart has been attached to him and just the incredible love that I have for him as my son. And then on Wednesday night, right before midnight, we had another little boy. Uh, John Martin was born. And so now we're all back. Thank you. Yeah, excited. Um, I think, we, yeah, we got a picture right here. And uh, so, so once again, I'm just reminded of the incredible love that God puts, on, puts in our heart for our children. Right, and, and, and I'm reminded of the fact that this is who God is. Right? He's a father who loves us in the way even far greater than we love our own children. And so that's, that's the, the picture is that God is the father in this story. And so here's, here, as we said, the father displays prodigal love. Here's some specific ways that we see the prodigal love in the father's actions. The first is that the prodigal love doesn't react angrily it gives graciously. Prodigal love doesn't react angrily. It gives graciously. We see in verse 12. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. Now, that doesn't jump off the page to us probably this morning. Uh, but in this culture, a son would not get their inheritance until the father had died. Right? And so to, for the son to come to his father 
and say, Father, I, I want my share of the inheritance is telling his father I wish you were dead. Is telling his father that I care far more about your stuff than I care about you. Right, and so he comes to his father and basically, you know, if we think of a teenage son in our day coming and spitting in his father's face and saying, I hate you and I wish you were dead. Right, that's basically the action that we see in the son. And so to the Jewish audience who are listening to Jesus tell this story, this would have been shocking. Right, this would have been overwhelming and disgusting that this son would make this kind of a claim and request upon the father. And, and the expectation Right? For, for this society of, of how the father should handle the son is that he should smack him across the face and send him off his property. Right? That's what they would have expected for him, him to, to come at him, to, to kick him off his property, and probably to never see him again. And so, and so that's the action, that's the reaction that we are expecting reading this. But the father does something that it would have been even more shocking than the son's request for the father's inheritance. Because the father in verse 12 says he divided his property between them. So this son is incredibly disrespectful, comes and makes this incredibly terrible claim, basically tells his father he wishes he was dead. Everyone would have expected he never would have given him the money. He would have kicked him off his property, right? But what does the father do? He does it. Right? He gives him the money. And, and, and this would have required an incredible sacrifice because in order to give the money, he would have had to sell off some of his property. Right? And, and in this day, property and land was your whole identity. Right? It was your family's livelihood. In fact, the word that Jesus uses here for property is bios, which some of you all know from biology. It, it means life. And, but what, what Jesus is saying is this father is, is, is actually sacrificing some of his very life, some of his identity, some of, some of what he depends on to provide for him and his family, but he does it, right? He sacrifices in order to give this disrespectful son what he asks for, and this is truly, incredibly prodigal love. And so what does the son do now that he gets his money? That the father is given. We see he goes, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. All right? So, so he leaves the father, he takes his money, and he goes and he parties. Right? He lives it up. He wastes this money and spends it. And the far country is really a picture, right? And many of us have, have experienced this in our own lives. It's a picture of a lifestyle that's totally focused on ourselves. Right? That's totally focused on our pleasure, right? living for ourselves, rebelling against the Father, doing what we want to do and not what he, what he wants us to do. And so this is what the Son does. And at the beginning, it works out great. Right? The Son has a lot of money, he has a lot of fun, and he has a lot of friends because he's buying the drinks. Right? It's funny how that works. As long as he's buying the drinks, as long as he's the one taking care of everybody's bill, He's got a whole lot of friends, right? And people want to be around him. They want to be with him, right? But it all ends sometime. It doesn't last. He, he's trying to find joy apart from the Father. He's trying to find happiness apart from the Father. And so he's convinced that if he can have enough to drink and, and have enough parties to go to, right, and have enough girls to be with, that, that after all of this, that he'll find satisfaction and happiness, but it doesn't last. It's like going on a spending spree with a credit card, 
Anybody ever done that? Right? You probably don't want to raise your hand, some of us. Right? You're going, you get out the visa, walking through the mall, right? All the salespeople are loving you, telling you how great everything looks, right? Or you're going into the electronic session and cashing out, and you feel the rush of buying the new stuff, right? You feel like you're Johnny Manziel out there just spending all kinds of money. And then what happens? The bill comes, <laughs> right? It's a lot more fun to spend the money than to pay the bill, right? And so that's what happens is, is it runs out. And so the son no longer has any money. He no longer has any friends. And he's left with nothing. And so we see in verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one gave him anything. So suddenly, a famine hits the land, right? And, and, and now the son has, has nothing to eat. He has no one around him to help take care of him. And so he has to get a job. And, and the only job that he can get is going on a pig farm feeding pigs. And in a Jewish culture, this would have been the most disgusting, looked down upon job that anyone can have. Because not only were pigs dirty... In the Jewish culture, they were religiously unclean. And so to touch pigs and to be around pigs would make you unclean. It would make you defiled. It would make you filthy. And so this is the picture that Jesus wants to portray of the son's lifestyle, right? It's filthy. It's dirty. And to be honest, when the son set out for the far country, he, he probably was not thinking about the fact that he would end up feeding pigs, Right when he, when he left, he was thinking about the thrill. He was thinking about the pleasure. He was thinking about the excitement. But at the end of it, he li- ends up lying in the most disgusting place in the Jewish culture, smelling the stench of pig filth and longing to eat some of what the pigs are eating. Right, And I think why Jesus does this in this story is because it paints a picture for us of our sin. You see, when we set out to live for ourselves or to rebel against the Father, right, seeking pleasure and everything, we don't think about the gross part, right? We don't think about where things will end. We set out, we think about the fun. We think about the excitement, the pleasure, the thrill. But it doesn't last. And in the end, just like the sun, our sin and the longing for more will take us places we never dreamed we would go. It'll leave us doing things that we never dreamed that we would do. And this is the picture that Jesus paints. And and what we see here in verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here from hunger? When he came to himself, when he he really woke up and took a look around and realized how far he'd fallen. Is, Is anybody... This morning, ever had that experience in your life? Have you ever had a time when, when suddenly you came to yourself and you were shocked at f- how far you'd come, right? When, when, the, when, the, when the fog began to clear and you, you saw a clear picture of where your life has actually gone. I remember a time when I was a senior in college and I was taking a whole lot of hours incredibly hard classes, and I was writing my thesis, which was this huge paper that I had to write to graduate. And I mean, I was working around the clock on this thing. And and I remember a day when I woke up 
and I realized I had I was sleeping on top of a pile of books and papers, literally, that I had covered on my bed of all the stuff I was researching. And I looked down at my chest, and there was ants that were crawling over my body. Evidently, I'd left some food on the table next to me. Literally laying on books and papers with ants crawling, and I was just overwhelmed. I was like, how did I get here? Right? How, how, how in the world did I come to a place where this is my existence? And so I had to go and clean everything up, right, and take a break from studying and get away. Right? But many of us have had that same kind of experience with sin, where suddenly we, we wake up and we realize how far we've come and we're shocked. And this is what, the, what happens with the younger son. He's overwhelmed and he comes to himself. And then ultimately, when he has nothing left, his mind goes to the father. Right, his mind goes back to the father who loved him and was gracious to him when he did not deserve it. And so the next point that we see is that prodigal love doesn't retaliate, but it restores. And so the, the prodigal son, as he comes to himself, he realizes how far he's gone. He makes a plan. He says, I'm going to arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as, as one of your hired servants. And so his plan, right, is that he'll go to his father and he'll tell him, I don't want to be a, a son, right? I don't want you to treat me as a son. Just hire me as one of your servants, right? And so, and so this is his plan. He's going to go back because at least that way he'll have something to eat. And so he, he, gets, he gets up and he walks back. And really this is, the, this is the high point of the whole story because the son who has rejected his father, Right, the son who has told his father he wished that he was dead and, and has left him and has now wasted all of his money. Right, this son is now coming back to that father. And the question we ask ourselves is, is how will the father respond? How will he treat this son who has public, publicly humiliated him, who has rejected him and, and hurt him incredibly deeply? Will, will he even let him on his property? Right? Will, he, will he send him away? Will he have his servants take him and, and get rid of him? Right? How will he react? And we see in verse 20 the response of the father, and he says this. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, while he was still a long way off. This paints a picture of the fact that the father had never given up on his son. And day after day, he was standing out, looking into the horizon, longing and hoping that maybe someday his son would return. And as he's looking out into the distance, slowly he sees a dark figure coming down the road. And as he gets closer, he realizes that this is his son. And what does he do? Does he stay standing on the porch and wait until his son comes all the way off up to, to him to, to, to worry about what's the father going to do? No, that's not what he does, right? He leaves the porch and he runs to his son. And this, this to us, obviously it's, it's, it's emotional, but we don't grasp the full capacity of what this is saying about the father's love. Because in this society... A man would never run. They would wear long robes, and, and in order to run, they would have to, to wrap up their robes and expose their legs, which is something they just didn't do 
right, exposed their undergarments, it would have been incredibly shameful and humiliating for any man, let alone a man authority like this, to run. But the father doesn't care, right? He doesn't care about losing his dignity. He doesn't care about taking on the shame or being humiliated, right? His only thought is about his son who's returning home. Maybe, maybe the picture for us of the humility that this would have required <clears throat> would have been if you would look out your window one morning as you're drinking your coffee and you saw a man running down the street in his boxer shorts, <laughs> nothing else, right? Now, some of you may think that that's perfectly acceptable if it's right after a UT win. That may just be normal. But most people would say that's, that's pretty undignified, right? And so this is the picture. It would have been humiliating for the father <clears throat> to do this, but he doesn't care because he is willing to take the shame, right? He's willing to be humiliated for his son, and he runs. And not only does he run to his son, but he embraces him and he kisses him, right? The very son who has spit in his face, who has told him he wished he was dead, who has wasted all of his inheritance, right, who smells like the filth of a pig pen, this is the son that he takes and embraces and kisses. This is truly prodigal love. What we see next is that the son has had this plan, right? He's been planning on, on, on this line. And as he's been walking down the road, he's been reciting this in his head, that he's, he's going to plead with his father not to be accepted as a son, but just to be a servant, right? And so he starts with the spiel that he's playing. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can finish his sentence where he's going to say, I just want to be a servant, what happens? The father cuts him off. He doesn't let him finish his statement. And he says, the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What he's doing here." Is he's telling the son, you are not going to be my servant. You are welcomed fully as my son. You see, these things, these three things that he does, to, to take a robe, the family robe, and, and clothe his son's nakedness was a sign that his son wasn't just going to be a guest in his house, but he, he was going uh, to be welcomed as part of the family, right? And then as he looks down at his, at his dirty fingers and he puts a ring upon it. The ring was the symbol of family authority, right? It was the father's authority. He was saying he had every right that the family had as a son. And then he looked down at his feet, which bare feet were, were a sign in this culture of being a servant and being a slave, right? Which is what the son had been on the pig farm. And he looks down and he sees his bare feet. He says, no son of mine is going to have bare feet, right? Bring the shoes. He's not going to be a servant, but he's fully welcomed as my son. This is incredible father, uh, prodigal love of the father who, who welcomes and accepts his son, not as, not as a servant, right, but as fully part of the family. And so what we see uh, with all of this <clears throat> is that uh, the third point, prodigal love doesn't throw a fit, it throws a party, right? Prodigal love doesn't throw a fit, it throws a party. Verses 23 through 24, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. You see, the father sees his son coming back, and he wants to throw a party. And in this society, to do what he's asking for, to slaughter a fattened calf would have been incredibly expensive. 
right? It was something that only was what was reserved for special occasions. But the father, son, father says, this is one of those occasions, right? He doesn't say, my son is home, let's prepare a spinach salad. He says, let's eat meat, <laughs> right? Let's have ribeyes. This is a day to celebrate like any other day. <clears throat> he wants to show his son this party, this celebration that his son is coming home. And so here, here's what I want to ask to my own heart and, and to our hearts this morning. Is do we see God as the father who throws a party when we return from our sin? Or as an angry old man who grimaces and tells us we're going to have to pay back every penny that we've taken. I think this is huge. Do, do we see God as a father who when we return from our sin while we're still dirty, who looks upon us and loves us and, and, and the look in his eyes is celebration and excitement and he throws a party because we've come home. He wants a relationship with us. Or do we see the father as an angry old man who would never dare throw a party but would make us pay him back for everything we've taken. And, and my encouragement, because some of us struggle with this, right? Some of us feel like because of what we've done or who we've become, that we can't come back to the Father. That he would never take us back. And what Jesus is telling you in this picture is if that is your picture of God, that's, you've got the wrong God. That's not what our Father is like. Because our Father is a Father who doesn't throw a fit he throws a party. He celebrates when we return. And so here's, here's the final point. The final thing I want us to see this morning is that prodigal love doesn't inflict pain. It absorbs it. As I said at the beginning, I, this, is, this passage is, is a mirror to us. And so I want us to see ourselves, right, our own lives and our own relationship with the Father in this story. And I, and I think that's what Jesus intends for this. And, and what we see is that, is that the father in this story, right, doesn't stay on the porch, but he runs to his son. And by running to his son, he takes on shame, right? He takes on humility. He's publicly humiliated, but he's willing to bear the shame because of his love for the son who had rejected him and who didn't deserve his love at all. Right, that's the father. So he doesn't stay on the porch, but he runs out. He, he takes on the shame. He takes on the humility. He takes on the pain in order to embrace his son and welcome him back. And, and what I want us to see this morning is this is a picture of what God has done for us. You see, we've all sinned against God. Right? And in one way or another, we've told him we don't care about you. We're going to go our own way and do things for ourselves. And so we've all left and we've all gone to our own far country. It may look different for each of us. But we've all left the Father. We've all rejected him. And because of that, we deserve punishment. Right? We deserve to pay the penalty for leaving the Father and rejecting him. And ultimately, the Bible tells us that penalty is, is death and, and ultimately eternity in hell. But the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't stay on the porch. But he runs to us. 
He comes from heaven to earth for us. Right? He, he bears our shame. He's willing to be publicly humiliated. You see, Jesus was rejected. He, he didn't just take on, he didn't just lose his dignity, but he lost his glory. He didn't just bare his legs, he was stripped naked and beaten. He didn't just spread his arms to embrace us, he spread his arms to take the nails that we deserved. And he did it because of his incredible prodigal love for us. He took our shame, he took our sin, and he paid the penalty we deserve to pay. As Tim Keller says, there is no more beautiful thought than an infinitely perfect and happy being would descend to do, into this world and sacrifice everything for ungrateful and undeserving human beings like us. You see, Jesus was willing to take our pain, though we never could have deserved it, though we've rejected him, he took our pain and our shame, right, and the penalty for our sin so that we could experience the embrace of the Father. And so the question for us this morning is, is, is have we experienced that? Right, right, do we, do we understand this? Do we understand what God has done for us, what we deserve and yet how he has treated us, that, that instead of inflicting pain upon us, and instead of enacting judgment, he has taken it upon himself on the cross so that we can be embraced and welcomed as children. If, if you've never experienced this, if your picture of God is not as a father who, who embraces you as his child, right? the call this morning is, is to realize the incredible love of the father that's available for you. To realize that the Father longs for a relationship with you. And he has done everything that it takes in order to welcome you into his home as his child. All he calls you to do is trust in Christ. Trust in the perfect life that Jesus lived in your place. And then the perfect death that we deserve to pay that he paid for us. And trust in him as our Savior. And if you do that, you'll see the Father, right? Running on, off the porch, coming to you, embracing you, welcoming you as his child now and for all of eternity. And maybe, maybe some of you have done that, right? You'd say, I, I know, I've known that, right? And, and my call for you this morning is, is, are you living like that, right? Does it bring joy to your heart when you think of the Father's love for you? Do you live daily out of the knowledge that, that you, are, you are embraced by the Father as his children, right? Does that, that energize you? Does it power you? Does it restore you? Are you experiencing that on a daily basis? And if you are, here's what I would say. Here's, here's the evidence of that. <clears throat> and this is where we connect to where our series is going. If you have, have been overwhelmed at the Father's love for you, you will display the evidence of that by a love that does. Right? A, a love that is active. You see, the Father, he didn't just, just tell us he loved us and stay distant. But he came to us, right? He showed us his love by his actions. The father in the story showed his love to his son by his actions. The fact that he embraced him, right? The fact that he clothed him. The fact that he threw a party, right? All these were active things that gave evidence in the same way the father shows his love by his action. He comes to us, right? He pursues us. He, he died for us. He works in us. He saves us. These are actions 
And so we're called to live a life, not, not just that feels love. Sometimes we think we're loving because we feel love or empathy, right? Or, or maybe we think we're loving because we plan on doing something someday. We plan on caring for needs. We think that if a need were to come across our path, we'd take care of it, right? But that's not the love that we're called to have. The love of the Father, the love that he calls us to have is the love that does. A love that takes action. A love that you can see the evidence when you look at your calendar and your checkbook. And so that's the question for us this morning is, do we have a love that does? And that's what we're going to be challenging you the next few weeks, right? Today was kind of the foundation. I think before we can act, we have to understand the Father's love because we don't want us to be serving and doing things to try to earn the Father's love, right? We want to be serving and doing things because we're overwhelmed at the Father's love that he's freely given to us in Christ. And so that's what we want to do. We want to see actions. We're going to provide opportunities to get involved, to serve in, in a way that shows the love of the Father and shows the love he's given us by acting and, and caring for needs and doing things for those around us. And so that's the challenge. And, and in all of this, as, to go back to the very beginning, my prayer for us is that we see ourselves in this mirror, right? We see ourselves in the mirror of the passage, and that changes everything about our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for your grace. <clears throat> Father, thank you for... The fact that you didn't stay on the porch. That you didn't treat us the way that our sin deserves. But you came and you lived the life that we fail miserably to live. And then you died to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And Father, thank you that because of that, you provide the opportunity for us to be embraced as your children. And Father, my prayer is if there are those in, the, in here this morning who have never known that in their heart, have never known what it means to be saved, to be embraced by the Father, to be loved, Father, they would see and trust in Christ as their Savior. Father, there are those this morning maybe who, who have in the past, but it's grown cold. Father, my prayer is that we would be revived, that we would be restored by this picture of your love, and that we would, we would live lives that, that display a love that does. Not that just feel loving or plan on serving and caring for needs, but we, we live a life that practically displays your love through the way that we treat those around us. And so, so Father, our, our prayer is, is that your spirit would work in our hearts. We know that you are the only one who could change hearts and lives so that we ask that you would do it ultimately for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.